1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Join us at the Warehouse Friday for a big show. 1825 South, 300 West. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. It's the Warehouse. Time for what's going on. And uh, we thought we'd check in with DJ and PK today, which was PK and Gordon today. And you had a chance to interview Craig Smith, Gordon. Yes, we did. It was uh, interesting to hear him talk about his new opportunity. Then you kept him on for a long time. Yes, we did you, for a while. You took up a lot of his time, and he was uh, he was very gracious. I think if Utah loses game one, they can blame you. <laughs> I don't think so. It was like a domino effect. You taking all that time, you know, put him behind, and then late to the scout eventually, and loss. Now we had we had a good talk, chat with him, uh, and we're going to play a little bit of it here. PK, actually, we're going to play a lot of it. Well, we're going to play about 20 minutes of it and uh, started off with PK asking if the tradition was let, lured him to Utah. Oh, it's a huge reason. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a history guy. I, I pay a lot of attention to tradition. And, and you know, coming up through the ranks, I've, wor- uh, I've worked at places where there's not much tradition and, and the fan base can be – you know, apathetic. And then I've, I've worked at a few places where there's a rich tradition and, and the fan base is just craving a winner. And it's my job as the head coach to go out and create a brand of basketball that is exciting, right? It's, uh, ha- that has high-level players um, and, and, and good quality, right? Meaning, you know, playing a Gata style where we're going to play super hard, be the first on the floor, right? Make all the tough guy plays, but yet have efficient offense and fluid offense in a style and a brand that's enjoyable to watch. But the last five years that I've been a head coach, we've been in the top 20 in assists in the country, including last year at Utah State, where we were in number nine. And so uh, I think, you know, this state, Right. Our fan base is incredibly knowledgeable. They understand great basketball, and it's been proven time and time again. And when I was a young coach, I think I was 24, 25, I was at my second Final Four, uh, went to my first national championship game. Well, guess who that was? Utah against Kentucky. And I just, I was, of course, I was a young coach. I had nosebleed seats, uh, but I was happy to be there. And after the game, the side I was sitting on is the side that the University of Utah walked off the floor. And, of course, everybody was dejected. But it just hit me. Like, this is how you build a team, right? The way they had that team built. And, of course, they had great coaching with Coach Majerus. But I know this, really good players make coaches look really, really smart. And, and it was a defining moment in my life. And I said, this is what I want to do. And, you know, I worked at every level. Um, quite a few years ago, I coached in the NAI National Championship game. And, um, and now we want to experience that at this level and get youth basketball where, back where it belongs. Craig, one thing that you said at your opening press conference there that really stood out to me was when you were asked about the strengthening the schedule. And obviously the Utes play in the Pac-12, and that's all good. 
but you seem to be enthusiastic about adding quality opponents from start to finish, or I don't know, every game, but a, a lot of games that way. And it reminded me of what Denny Crum used to do at Louisville back, way back in the day when he used to play all kinds of tough teams, and his team might lose early on, but he thought it helped prepare them for the postseason. Is that is that kind of what's in your head? Yeah, uh, I'm a huge believer in bring on the competition. Like, I, I just firmly believe to be the best, you got to play the best and beat the best. And when you play high-level competition and non-conference play, like, you get a taste of what league play is going to be like. You get a true taste of what your team is, right, and how we can grow and develop and get better. And so – and then and then the NCAA tournament committee has made it very, very clear, right, what you need to do. And so I like to tell a story our first year. You know, when we first got hired at Utah State, we were projected to be number nine in the conference, and we had a mass exodus of players. I mean, Kobe McEwen left. He was a second-team all-league guy. We had, we had, I don't know, five, six guys leave. And that was, what, three, four years ago, where still people left but not maybe as prevalent as it is this year. And so, but I didn't care. So we were playing in an MTE in Las Vegas. Arizona State was in it, Mississippi State, St. Mary's and Utah State, we were kind of a, <laughs> that other team, right, where people thought, well, at least we'll get one win. And the tournament organizers said, hey, we got a lower-level tournament we can put you in. I said, no, like, we want to play the best. And, and we stayed in it, and, we, you know, we lost the tight game in Arizona State. We beat St. Mary's handily. So I think it's so important to get your net ranking where it needs to be, to get your strength of schedule where it needs to be. In our last three years at Utah State, our lowest net ranking in those three years was 42. And so uh, we value that, we crave that, and that will be something we bring to the University of Utah. Greg Smith joining us, new hoops coach at Utah. So uh, in conversations that I've had with folks uh, as far as what was leading up to the situation, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Coach, but it seemed like uh, there was some indication uh, earlier on Friday that it wasn't going to be uh, a marriage between you and the Utes. And then later on in the, into the evening, obviously you ended up taking the job. I don't know how much you want to disclose, but what was uh, the differences? What were they going on? Going, what was going on there that maybe some people had the impression earlier in the day you weren't going to take the job, and then obviously you end up taking it? Uh, well, I'm not sure, I guess, in terms of impressions or anything like that. Obviously things happen quick, and – and I'm hearing, and it's a, it's a life comes at you fast. That's that's yeah. for sure. And so, um, it, you know, just going through that whole thing, uh, and getting to know Mark, and and doing my research, you know, Mark just like they do research on their potential candidates. I just his vision for running youth basketball really aligned with what I believe uh, it takes to to run a successful program in every way, shape, and form, whether it's recruiting, your style, uh, connectivity to the community, and, and the players that have led the way, and the, and the former coaches. And so, and I could go on and on, but uh, it, it just, uh, our visions are aligned. Uh, and, and of course, we're doing our best to build a team for this year to be competitive, but also build a program for the long haul. And, um, you know, it's been a whirlwind over the last, what, 72 hours, or I guess maybe a little bit more than that now. And, uh, and it's been fast and furious with, 
with the transfer portal, recruiting guys, obviously trying to build a staff and, and doing whatever I can to promote um, this unbelievable program. You mentioned, Craig, the transfer portal there. Larry had difficulty, and maybe a lot of coaches have difficulty these days, keeping players in the program. Uh, some of the players who are, have indicated maybe they'll leave Utah, maybe they'll stay uncertain at this point. One, are you going to have a good shot at keeping some of those players in the program? And secondly, uh, what's your philosophy about that? Uh, what can be done to, to, to keep the major players that you're looking for over the next number of years? Yeah, I mean, you know, the transfer portal is, you know, transferring is uh, a part of our game now, right? Whether it's football, basketball, um, and it has been for the last, I don't know, three to five years. You know, the last few years, you know, I think last year around 1,000 um, student-athletes went in the portal, which if you equate that out, that's roughly on average three men's basketball players transfer out of their program per year. That's just the average. And so it's a big part of the game. And, you know, us philosophically, you know, well, going back, first of all, we've been very fortunate at Utah State and at University of South Dakota not to have too many um, guys leave our program. Uh, and I think that's an indication of how we do things. I think it's an indication of building trust, having a plan in place to when we bring these guys in to, to grow their game, how they're going to fit into our program, you know, looking at our depth chart closely. I'm not big into recruiting guys and selling them sunshine, right? I want them to know exactly what they're getting into from a culture standpoint, from a, a community standpoint. Like, you know, not everybody's going to thrive in Salt Lake City, but some people are going to have tremendous growth in development in Salt Lake City and in our program. So beauty's in the eyes of the beholder. So I think having great relationships with your players, having a plan, holding them accountable, and then utilizing the portal in the right way in terms of recruiting, right? It's almost like, in a weird way, it's kind of like NBA free agency, right? Like, oh, we got a need right here. We need to get more experience, more of a veteran guy than maybe a high school kid can do. So we've had success all the way around. Predominantly, we recruit high school kids, but we've had very good success with transfers and with a few junior college kids, too. So you just got to look under rocks, find the right people, and then utilize that um, to our program's advantage that way. You know, this year, it's hard. It's hard for those players from last year's team that are in the program. They don't know me, right? They don't know any of our staff that will hire. Well, they could, I guess, but you never know. Um, and so it's hard. you got to build a lot of trust in a short amount of time. And But we've been down this road before. So almost three years ago to the day, uh, you know, got hired at Utah State, and all these guys are looking at me because I'm – you know, I like to talk and I'm kind of boisterous and like, this guy's crazy. But you sit down with them. And like I said, a few leave. A guy like Sam Merrill, who was recruited by Duke and you name it, said, I am staying. And we are going to build this thing. And we are going to get Aggie basketball back where it belongs. And fortunately us, we had three amazing years. For sure you did. There's no question about that. Your record speaks for itself. Craig Smith, new Utah basketball coach, joining us. You speak of your staff. I don't know what you're able to say right now. There's been a couple of reports of Slocum coming back, Peterson coming with you. You've got two guys on the who are on Larry's staff who have sons on the team, Martinez and Jones. 
uh, I would think there would be a possibility of those guys leaving if you did not retain them. What can you say about all that situation? I can't comment specifically yet, um, but you guys do your homework. And so, uh, you know, I'm, ex- I'm really excited to build our staff. Obviously, you know, we're going to do this thing right. And we're looking for coaches that are, are very well-rounded. they got to be able to recruit. Recruiting is your lifeline. We all know that. I alluded to it earlier. You know, really good players make coaches look really smart. And we have a, a tremendous job as a coach to put players in the right place to help them grow their game and teach and develop and do all that. Uh, But those guys are out there making the plays, right? They're the ones making the threes. They're the ones that have to box out. They're the ones that have to sprint the floor. They're the ones that have to communicate while they're on the floor. And so you better find the right guys. You know, we look for guys that have character, toughness, guys that know how to play, guys that are gym rats. And I could go on and on, but the the coaches, you know, we're going to find guys that have strengths recruiting, in various parts of the country. we got to have a great presence on the West Coast. Obviously, we have to have a great presence in Utah and, and get the best players in the state. And so, uh, and then I want guys that can really coach and have high energy and have great character and take the role personally on helping young men, 18-year-old men, develop into men when they leave this program. And, you know, we're not going to settle for second best, and we're going to go out in quality high, high character um, coaches to come in here because this place is literally incredible. The resources that we have and the things that we can, so quote, unquote, showcase, you know, there's nothing we don't have. So now we just got to go to work and get the guys in the program that want to make it happen. You know, so we're slowly building this thing with our coaching staff. Um, um, but I feel a lot more, you know, I think by the end of next week we'll have – a lot more pieces in place. Okay. So, Craig, uh, a two-part question for you. The first one is you've already covered a lot of this, but if you were going to circle the number one priority for you at Utah to make that program successful, what would it be? Because you've you've had success everywhere you've gone, and some of these places you've been, no offense to you, but a lot of people haven't heard of some of those places, and yet you've been <laughs> able to, to climb through this thing. So what is the number one thing you want at Utah? And my second part of the question is, how in the world did you put up with Scotty Gerard up there at Utah State for three years? <laughs> But Scott, he's such a pain in the you-know-what. He sent me such a that, – like we had a great connection from the get-go. It might have been our haircut that we just kind of <laughs> like, yeah, I'm challenged, you're challenged, uh, let, let's bond. And uh, we had so much fun together on our weekly radio show and, you know, of course, the pregame shows and uh, and in the postgame shows, we really had fun, especially when we, when we won. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's been a – a wild, what, four days, five days. This is day five. Um, and last night, I, I finally, I just, and I've been thinking about this, but I just haven't been able to put some things into words, you know, to thank the Aggie community and our time at Utah State. And there's just a bunch of memories that come back. And one of the memories that came flooding back to me was my time with Scotty. Like, I literally look forward to that radio show every Monday. And I love one of my favorite things, and I can't tell you the number of emails uh, that I've had, especially since I've left. Uh, they're not all negative, but uh, where I'm, I'm going to miss the post-game radio shows uh, on their drive home. And like I, I literally couldn't wait to do those. 
and fortunately won a lot of games, so it made it a lot more enjoyable. You know, I don't know if I can pinpoint one. I mean, in the in the immediate, like I obviously we have to get our staff together, but we have to build great relationships with our current players. And re- relationships don't happen just by snapping your finger. Um, it's hard. You're, you're 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 showing them or trying to explain to them what we've always done, and they're kind of looking at you like, why should I believe you? And I get what they're saying because I've been down this road everywhere I've been, uh, taking over a program that has struggled a little bit under 500, sometimes well below 500, and and flip it around. So um, uh, recruiting is obviously just humongous uh, in the short term and in the long term, and not just recruiting talent. You just you got to get the right guys. You know the movie Miracle with Herb Brooks, right? And, and Herb Brooks says to Craig, the assistant, we're not looking for the best ones. We're looking for the right ones. And, and it's a fine line. In building your team, we have a formula for building our team and what we look for. And we got some work to do in that area. And then lastly, and this certainly is at least, I view this as one of my the top priorities, is to generate enthusiasm, show our fan base what we're going to do. We have such knowledgeable fans that our fans will appreciate playing the game the right way, playing unselfish, playing together, having connectivity with the community, and get people excited to support it. And, and when you have a great home court advantage, that directly impacts winning. And I know we're going to build that up and make this place an incredibly difficult place to play. So, Craig, I don't know if this happened. You can answer this. Riley Batten decided he was going to come back after putting his name in the portal. So I want to know, did you, have, did you already re-recruit him, and what do you think about Allen? Because if you want to be successful next season, obviously getting Allen back in the program uh, would go a long way to, towards that. I mean, are you, how are you re-recruiting him? And if, did you re-recruit already Batten? Well, you're, you know, that's a great question, and, and certainly have met with with uh, every, almost every player. I got like two guys left today, um, but had great talks with a lot of guys, and you know, and you just sell your vision, so to speak. But you know, that's I think a big part of retaining of retention and having that plan. And you're always recruiting the guys in your program, and you know, I always say you're always recruiting, but that's that's relationships and communication. And this is what you got to do to get on the floor. And these are the things you got to do. So, yeah, uh, I mean, had a great meeting with Riley yesterday. And, and uh, he was on the practice floor, and, and he looked really, really good. I mean, tremendous energy, shot it really well, has a great voice and a big motor. And does he got to get better? Yeah, but he knows that. And, you know, with the rest of the guys, you're just you're communicating your vision, what you need to do. But the bottom line is, guys, if guys don't want to be here, and they're not bought in to what running youth basketball is, if they're not bought in to how we're going to do things and play, then, then we wish them the best of luck elsewhere because we have so many great things going on here and we're not going to settle for second best, you know? So, you know, it's like, uh, right, try, you build trust. Trust is like pregnancy. Either you're pregnant or you're not. You either trust somebody or you don't, right? There's no, you know, there's no in between that way. So, we're, we're, we're working hard that way, trying to show our vision of what we do. I thought it was great to be back on the floor, getting to see what these guys can do on the floor and start somewhat implementing, you know, what we like to do. So we're big into skill development, and it was nice to see some of the things that we could do at this point.
Greg, you said you don't want to settle for second best. The Utes have never won the Pac-12 title. Obviously, you want to win. I get that. But is that your expectation to do to go to a place that the Utes haven't gone over the past decade? Absolutely. Our goal every year is to get get to the well, and they've been to the NCAA tournament. uh, Had a Sweet 16 run, you know, uh, did that whole deal, and and that's our goal every year. We said the same thing at Utah State. Said the said the same thing at South Dakota, said the same thing at Mayville. You know, Mayville took over a program, and most people have never heard of Mayville, uh, and I understand that. But they had won one game. In our first year, we get to the year before we got hired, they won one game. Our first year goes to the national tournament. Second year, win 27 games, go to the Elite Eight. Third year, play in the national championship. South Dakota, year three, um, win the regular season championship. Year four, uh, win 26 games, which is the most in the history of South Dakota in Division One, second most in, in the history of the school. And then Utah State, you know, first year, project the ninth. We win the regular season title, win the conference tournament championship, go to the NCAA tournament, finish the regular season 25th in the country. And then we go to three straight NCAA tournaments. And you know what? It's always a joke when you talk about it until you do it. And I don't know what the future holds, but I know what our standards are. And I know what our expectations are. And is it going to take a lot of work? You're dang right it is. Is it going to take a major commitment to make this happen from our administrators, administration, our coaching staff, and our players? Yeah. But that's why we're here. And I've never understood the logic of, you know, not doing everything you can to be the best. And I've never understood the, the, the logic of not putting high expectations on yourself. Because, you know what, it's a funny thing in life. Uh, when you do that, often that when you don't accept anything but the best, very often that's what you get. Did you write that down? Yeah, that was that was that was deep. There you go, Craig Smith on with uh, PK and Gordon earlier today, the new University of Utah basketball coach, and uh, say what you will about Craig. There's no doubt that he's got a lot of energy, a lot of energy, and he's a knowledgeable guy, and he's going to work hard, and that's what I've been told about him. And, uh, you know, like PK said, his record sort of does speak to that. And so we'll see what he can do in a whole new environment. PK and Hatch definitely missed an opportunity, though. They should have played him the the boiling uh, ball didn't go in the hoop drop. Why why would you want to uh, to pollute uh, the new guy with uh, the mistakes of coaches past? That wouldn't be polluting. That that should be played for every Ute, not just basketball coach, but Ute coach uh, going forward. What I see to show up. Don't come here once every two years and ask those questions. I don't want to hear that from you. Show some class. Ball didn't go in the hoop. Uh, no, I, I think I, I would doubt. I would be surprised if you had one of those moments with Craig Gordon. How in the no. world did you put up with Scotty Gerard up there at Utah State for three years? <laughs> Said he really looked forward to doing that show. Highlight of the week, one of his best memories. He said that. Yeah, he did. You so his attitude, hoop. his attitude toward the media might have been a tad bit different than Jim Boylan's. Coming up next, David Locke is going to jump on the show. We'll ask him uh, about uh, how the Jazz are playing, if he's tired of the Memphis Grizzlies yet. We'll get to that coming up right <laughs> around the corner. Stay tuned. It's a big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I see the show up. Life 
Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports radio afternoon show. This is The Big Show, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's a big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to Locke coming up here momentarily. Of course, uh, here David and Ron on the call tonight, Jazz Grizzlies. Tip-off coming your way at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage will begin at 5. Jake, I just got an email from someone that says, everything you need to know about Irish whiskey. Well, what, do I nice. need to, what do I need to know about Irish whiskey? I don't drink, but is there something I should know? Well, if you're not going to drink it, I don't think there's anything you really need to know. <laughs> okay. Are you going through your, your, like, spam mail or something like that? <laughs> no, it's just an email I got from some, I don't know. Anyway. Oh, well. All right. You know, did you see, I was talking to Austin about this. Did you see that Bruce Arians followed through? He said that if his team won the Super Bowl, he would get a tattoo, and it has a picture of the trophy and Super Bowl champions, Bucks, and whatnot. So I think maybe you and Locke should make a bet, and uh, whoever loses needs to get a tattoo. Why are you volunteering us? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I, I certainly think Gordon started this conversation, and Gordon should end this conversation. So, Gordon, what are you willing to do? <laughs> yeah, serious. <laughs> oh, I was just trying to get somebody else in trouble for once. You, and by the way, you it still wasn't, it oh. wasn't a great effort. It was pretty. It was pretty clear. So now, what are you willing to do? To I would your, lick Greg I mean, Ostertag's Fred I've read Flintstone your column. You hate the jazz. I know you hate <laughs> the jazz. I've read your column. I hate the jazz. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's clear to me that you don't like the jazz anyway. So you'd never get a tattoo. You, you'd never get a tattoo for the jazz because you hate the jazz. David, you know that's not true. <laughs> Entirely true. So, is so there why anything? Do you, why don't you? Why don't you prove that you actually care about the Jazz and love them like the fans do? And get a tattoo of the Jazz. I will get a Lakers tattoo on my forehead. That's from. See, everything's taken out of context, David. That's that's the thing. Okay, you're willing to get a Lakers tattoo, but not a Jazz <laughs> tattoo because you're L.A. True and true. L A K E R S. No, you're Randy would... Newman. You left your heart in Southern California. And LA, and you're actually been parading around here and aren't truly. Oh, I get it. Oh, so it's like you're really. really. Now, I uh, that was a list of things I was reading off. And, and that was one of the things that was on the list. It's not that I actually mm. meant well, that. That's what they all say. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, exactly. but, you know, I, I, let me think about that, David. And I, Would you be willing to. Uh, to uh, maybe uh, gamble a little bit in that regard and do something embarrassing like that if you lost? I'm not involved in this. This is all about <laughs> you and your lack of love for the Jets. Here we go. Stop it, David. See, David, you say that, and then people believe you. Well, I mean, the fact that you won't dispel it by getting a tattoo or to show your support <laughs> for one of the great teams of all time is maybe more revealing than anything I've ever said. Is there any way I can change this conversation? You know what? Uh, I've really enjoyed you, it so far. This has been great. This conversation. Yeah, I don't no, know what I did. I about did. This is. You're the one who started this conversation. Yeah, I did. And uh, now I'm very much regretting it. Let me ask you this, David. Have you ever been afraid of flying? Um, 
So I don't like helicopters a great deal if we're in the air for too long. Like I've gone helicopter a few ski times and I have like kind of have to fight that a little bit. I have like a period of time where to me, like, um, it just, we, you've suddenly been in the air longer than I'm comfortable in a helicopter. Um, we had an incident a few years back where the plane kind of fell out of the sky for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I had a really hard time. I remember walking back on the plane, we were all watching the two of us were like, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Um, you know, that was, I think, a little bit of where we, so I would say that I have that. Um, but, and I, and I don't love it. Like, you know, I'm no different than anyone else. Once I've had kids in the family, it, you, you enjoy it less than you did beforehand. So um, I fly a lot. You try not to think about it a lot. Those guys, I feel for them. They certainly had to think about it yesterday. Um, but, you know, I think it's, you know, it's really hard to jump back on. David, Gordon asked me a question earlier today that I'll ask you. Uh, Donovan Mitchell and his production will not be available. Is that going to be made up by one player or um, multiple players? A collection of players, clearly, but hopefully Mike Conley in his return to Memphis has a better game than he did the first time he was there last time and, and can lead it. Clarkson gets going. Maybe, you know, if you look at Boyan, he gets less shots in the first quarter this year. Ron Boone kind of stealing all of Ron Boone's stuff. He zeroed in on this. About a shot and a half off what he had a year ago in the first quarters. He had 11 double-digit first quarters last year, and he's only had one so far this year. So, um, you know, I think that that might be a better, um, you know, maybe this gets Boyan going a little bit because they'll certainly have to involve him. Uh, This is also a pretty darn good, you know, um, defensive team. And so um, I think you have to – be a little, it has to be hard. Like, they're good. Um, the one thing that's maybe most difficult here is that the Jazz off the bounce three point shooting, that's what Memphis does. Though, so if you watch the game on television and listen to Ron and I, hopefully, will tell you. But if you watch on television, you'll all the way back to the basket. Like, Valentinus will be sitting tonight in the restricted area when Rudy sets a pick. Like, he'll just sit all the way back in the paint. And what, the only way you can really answer that is off a pick and roll. If Rudy gets a good stick on the guy, then when he comes around the pick, there's nobody guarding our ball handler. So it means that you know we're going to get these off the bounce threes. Well, the fact is that in the last matchup, it seemed like the Jazz shot the off the bounce threes really good. They were 10 of 26, which is a really great percentage. But that's because Donovan was 7 of 9. Everybody else was 3 of 17 on those. So that off the bounce three, which is a much more difficult shot than the catch and shoot, is the shots I think the Jazz are going to be forced to make tonight. And then, you know, in game two, the Jazz got just a plethora of catch-and-shoots and and really annihilated um, Memphis in that game with, what, 126-110 instead of the closer of the two. And it was the -the off-the-bounce three. You know, they they were able to not have to have the -the off-the-bounce three in that game. So um, I think that'll be the key to this game is – what the Jazz are able to do with that match, and, and that's where you know collectively they're going to get that shot against you know uh, Donovan uh, without Donovan Clarkson shoots it okay at thirty six percent, Mike shoots it okay at thirty nine, and Joe's great at forty three. Um, it's not a shot that Royce and Bullion make. They're they're Royce and uh, George make. They're you know they're pure catch and shoot guys off that action. So it's really going to be Jordan, Mike, and Joe that have to make that shot tonight. David, obviously the Jazz players would all rather play with Donovan, but in all your experience being around players, when there is somebody out like that, an important player out, do they? Do you notice sort of a 
an upsurge of uh, excitement for guys to, uh, I don't know, uh, show that they can they they have Donovan's back that they can play at a certain level too. Um, sometimes I actually see it more when there's like three guys out, you know, and then you have this collective energy of guys saying like, all right, here we all go. We all get our chance tonight. Right. Kind of that kind of concept. Um, more so than, uh, I do in in what we're talking about here. I I think that that's, um, one guy's out. I, I, you know, I think, you know, sure. Everyone gets a few more shots tonight, but it's, I, I don't see a pickup of, I don't usually see a pickup of juice in that circumstance. David Locke is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, David, what do you think about the the last part of the season? We've talked about the distance the Jazz have uh, in the standings uh, in in the West. They're currently up three on Phoenix, four and a half on the Clippers, and it goes from there. Are we going to see a situation where the Jazz are going to be uh, have enough of a lead to to possibly, I guess, manage things down the stretch and rest some guys? I think you're going to manage things regardless, but I do think that obviously uh, you'd like to manage them ahead. I, I don't know. Um, I do think that it's getting to be a um, – I, I, I think this is getting to be a two-team race for the number one seed. The Clippers' loss last night was really bad, by the way. Woo! Um, I mean, I think that Orla- uh, Orlando – wasn't it Orlando? Uh, went on like a 15-0 run last night to close that game or something of that. I mean, that's, that's a Clippers – Clips will be clips kind of loss right there. That's a little stunning um, and surprising that they would that they would do that. Um, I think it's going to be a three team a two team race between the Jazz and Phoenix. Phoenix has a really brutal stretch of games coming up right before they play us in the end of May end of April. And so what they do in that if they come out of that stretch, I think it's an East Coast trip. I don't have it in front of me, but it's like a Brooklyn, Milwaukee. Boston, New York, and one other good team back to Philadelphia, maybe. Maybe they play the five best teams in the East back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Um, and, you know, if they come through with that 4-1 and one or something, then they're going to be every bit in it. And they have, in all likelihood, they'll have the tiebreaker against us. So I, I think this is a long way from over for us to be thinking that we're going to have any type of um, any type of rest. David, when we talked with you last, it seems like we asked you about one thing the Jazz could improve upon, and if I'm not mistaken, you said transition defense. Have you seen progress in that regard? Are they really aware of it? And I think that's important in tonight's game, isn't it? I mean, Yeah, I thought they were great. Um, their transition defense has been a tremendous amount better. Um, obviously, the game against Memphis the second time when they committed like 73 turnovers, um, they were not – very good at stopping transition, but that's not the, but what they were and have been the last few games is the def- they're actually, when in transition, their defense has been better. The Jazz are 16th in the league in transition defense, and some of the numbers are were pretty grotesque there for a little while. I think Washington in transition scored like 185 points per 100 possessions. Like, they scored basically 1.85 points per transition opportunity i believe the warriors were at about 1.5 um but the last few games they've been much better the jazz um have kept memphis and cleveland i think in the last three games to below a point of possession in transition so it wasn't so much that the jazz did a great job of keeping teams out of transition in fact memphis was in transition over 20 percent of their possessions in the two games which is way too many um that number's got to come down that's 
that's a crazy high number, and that's what the jazz that's the, what the jazz had gotten themselves into, and they were allowing about. 19 to 20 percent of all possessions in transition through that whole stretch when they lost to New Orleans and lost to Philadelphia and lost to Warriors and they lost to Washington. That stretch where they lost four of six. I think every single one of those teams, except for maybe Washington, was at 19 percent or more of their possessions in transition. Then Washington wasn't in transition that much, but they just walked down the floor and scored every time. So that was just a really, really bad stretch of transition defense and. It could have been fatigue and then not quite being focused again. And um, now, now hopefully they're rolling. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, you know, they're, they're in the driver's seat for everything they want right now. So motivation should probably have them in a pretty good place. David, uh, we're going to see Chicago this week, and we asked you about trade deadline last week. Um, but uh, what do you, what did you think about Chicago making the the deal for uh, Vucevic? Uh, he, you know, of all the talk about Aaron Gordon and and uh, Norman Powell, I think he was the best player to be traded. What do you think about that move, and how much better does that make Chicago? Um, I guess it makes Chicago better. You've got a, it's an interesting move, right? They've been in a rebuild. They have a new GM who probably doesn't bind all of their pieces. And so he's pulling the plug on that rebuild and decided to do it with another all-star, um, you know, a sort of all-star. I, I'm not, I don't know, honestly, like I have a lot of opinions. I'm never short on them. Um, but I would admit that Nikola Vukovic is one that if you push me on, I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not comfortable kind of pronouncing him just as a player who puts up good numbers on a bad team, but that's what he's been his whole career. And so um, I'll be curious to see what happens. I mean, Orlando actually has been no worse since Vukovic left, and I'm not sure Chicago's been better. They lost to the Warriors the other night, and, and then the game before that, they um, they got smoked by the Spurs. So I, I, I don't know. Like, this is where, you know, if you really don't watch them all the time, you're not clear. Like, it's it's pretty hard to go be critical of a guy who's putting up 21-10-4 every night. But the win-loss record is not a guy who's putting up 21-10-4 every night. Mathematically, he's fine. Like, I don't think he comes out as a highly inefficient player or anything. But it just – I don't feel like he impacts the game at the level an all-star should impact the game. David, thank you very much. As always, we appreciate it. We'll see you here at the arena later tonight. Appreciate it, guys. Talk to you soon. See you, buddy. It's our friend David Locke with us here on The Big Show, making his weekly appearance, usually at 5, but with the early game time. We got David in a little early today. Yeah, all good. Brady Christensen will join the show at 4. We've got a market update coming up next. Stay tuned. It's The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. (laughs) It's The Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott. 97.5 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for a market update brought to you by TryDayTrading.com. Now anyone can be a try a day trader. Go to TryDayTrading.com. Gordon, how did the markets do today? The markets today, well, let me, let me report uh, what happened. The S&P 
was up just over 14 points. Your Heavenly Father loves you. The NASDAQ, I'm sorry, the Dow was down 85 points. This was not good. I love that one. And <laughs> what was he What was he referring to there? The Aggies losing. To Boise State. Yeah. His oh, nemesis. God. This <laughs> is not good. <laughs> and, this uh, is not good. The NASDAQ was up uh, 201 points. What the hell just happened? All right. In a good way. <laughs> uh, that was a good way. That was a good way. They won that game. Yeah, they did. Now, you know, every once in a while on our show, magic happens. You know, it does. And Austin and I were talking during the break when uh, when we played back-to-back, Steve Klauke and David Locks called when one was hit by a T-shirt and the other n- nearly escaped death by foul ball. Uh, that was one of my favorite moments that we've done in a long, long time. Yeah, it was funny. It was it was a good part of the show <laughs> yesterday. It was funny. I loved it. Nice work, Austin. Clowkey nearly dies and then comes right back to it. And the 2-2. Two, two. <laughs> <laughs> he David fires. gets hit by a T-shirt. Maybe, maybe we should have a daily duel between random play-by-play sound bites all across the country. <laughs> which, make that which call daily? was better? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, where's right, where's where's right waters? That's I mean that's that's uh, the greatest of all time. That's the goat right there. I mean the guy threatened to fight everybody else in the press conference. I mean it just doesn't ever happen <laughs> in the press you box. Know, oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, press box. I mean David is uh, I'm sure as uh, anyone who's done play by play as long as he has has his moments. Sure, but he never threatened to fight anybody that I know of. <laughs> Certainly, right he's not. Where's right waters? He's not threatening to fight Booner or something. I don't really care if you people look at me in the press box. You know what? I don't care. That's a flag. And I'll fight any one of you if you want it. <laughs> what a proclamation. That's the Ooh. goat right there. Love the emphasis on fight. fight. Did anybody actually want to pick a fight with this man? Uh, would you? Would you, to... a lunatic like that, would you want to fight that guy? <laughs> that guy's got uh, a Bowie knife in his boot. No, see, <laughs> he's, he's calling for the commissioner over a, a, a flag on the field. But see, I, I I think I would take him because he couched it at the end with "if you want," uh, which shows a little weakness. You don't you don't challenge everyone to a fight and then go "if you want to." Well, I think he realized what a psycho he is. <laughs> I think he came to his his senses right there, where he's like, "Wait a minute, I am." I don't really care if you people look at me in the press box. You know what? I don't care. That's a flag. And I'll fight any one of you if you want it. He had to describe that for his listeners, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I you mean, can't you can't uh, outdo Dave Lamont. No, that guy. That that lunatic. Uh yeah, who who gets that wrapped up in anything? Let alone uh you're you're calling a football game, man. Settle down. Apparently the team is not the only one melting down here. And that's when it really sinks in, like, wow, I am a psychopath. <laughs> I need a hobby. <laughs> he didn't say that, but he did. I, I need medical help. Oh, man. Third down. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is good stuff. All right. Brady Christensen is going to join the show coming up next. Very much looking forward to talking to him. We'll ask him about the process, getting ready for the next level. And, of course, uh, how he'll remember a very unique season, final season there at BYU. We'll get to that coming up next. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I need a doctor.